You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupatin. Hey, everybody. We're back from our little summer vacation, and this week we have a very special conversation with a deeply intuitive songwriter and cosmic country singer who's been creating viscerally vulnerable songs for over a decade that seem to ache right through the speakers with her shimmering voice. You might have met her first with her L.A. band, The Badgers, but now she has emerged from a hiatus with her much-awaited solo album, Sinner, which came out in August. Ladies and gentlemen, Leslie Stevens. How many heartbreaks does it take to become a real country singer? How many disappointments and slings and arrows of outrageous fortune does it take to really write a song that bleeds out of you on the stage? Well, it's not a competition, of course. But what really drew me to Leslie, even a decade ago when I first saw her in that sleepy saloon here in L.A., was the frightening openness to her songs. Nothing was sacred. Like she had cracked open her heart onto her guitar, and she wasn't afraid to let you see the blood and the tears that made the song lift off the floor and quiver right in front of you. And as a lost new kid in a new town, there was something about her voice her willingness to be vulnerable in front of a live audience each night, despite the consequences to her soul or her well-being. Somehow, she made everything all right. I just had my heart broken and was driving screaming and broken up a neon hell of Sunset Boulevard each night, figuring out what I was going to do next. And I needed that. The permission to proceed despite feeling empty and wronged. She was always one step ahead, turning pain into progress, silence into song, darkness into spangled light. So what does this Leslie Stevens sound like, you ask? Leslie came to my living room and laid down not one, but two songs, so you'll get twice the chance to hear her. But before that, I'll try and describe her recipe for musical deliciousness anyway. Imagine if you will, a sweet and silky dollop of Dolly Parton. Add a half-handle of Hank Williams, top it with a teaspoon of Jeff Tweedy, and finish it with a cup of California country storytelling, like Jenny Lewis. Why do I even try to do this? It's big city country music at its neurotic, slinky, broken best. And like most of us who have congregated here in the city of angels and misguided dreams, Leslie is not from here. She was born in Missouri, spent time in Italy, and ended up here with a new record called Sinner that examines her triumphs and regrets in startling, sparkling detail. The day she came over, it was too damn nice out, because it's L.A., so we went to the beach and jumped in the waves. Honestly, it would have been pretty awesome to bring my mic down to the sand and do the interview there from the beach, but it probably would have been a little loud with the kids yelling and jumping into the water and the guys going back and forth selling popsicles and the wind and the seagulls and, well... I really liked the conversation we had here. She gets really personal, and if that's the one thing that you take away from this, it's that Leslie is fearless. She's lived three lifetimes, and I hope we get to describe at least one of them. So before we get to it, here's an extra bonus song so you can hear what she sounds like. Leslie Stevens, everybody. I'm sorry that I broke your heart. I'm sorry that I left. I'm sorry that the concert hall closed down I didn't mean to make you cry I'm sorry that you wept I'm sorry that I broke your heart I'm 
Sorry that I left and I'm sorry for the news today. I'm sorry for the way your family can't seem to keep the peace for the holiday. The darkness when the sun goes down, that's the ending of the day. When the dawn is breaking somewhere, but it's half a world away. And I'm sorry for the people who think that they can kill in the name of goodness. From some holy hill Are those who fire rockets As if it's not their will From in front of some computer screen Sitting still And all of us are blameless None of us meant ill We're all dying over different names For universal will Everybody thinks they're doing good They're popping it like pills On both sides of every wall The righteous get their fill And I'm sorry I can't answer you At least not for today And giving up apologies Would mean changing my ways And I'm sorry no one changes And I'm sorry I can't stay And I'm sorry that I'm sorry Is all that I can say I'm sorry I can't answer I know you're asking why Knowing that it's over All I have to say is goodbye And I'm sorry that to live It's always something has to die I'm sorry that it ended I'm not sorry that we tried What do you do? I'm a songwriter. And I also sing the songs I write. <laughs> it was a long pause. I'm a writer. I'm a writer of songs. That's good. Were you shy initially to say that you were a performer and not just a songwriter? You've always been a performer. I... Or was it secondary in your mind? I, I like the writing the most. Me too. Yeah, you too? I'm realizing that more and more. That's my favorite part. It's like when you play like little league baseball or soccer. Yeah. Like the practices are sometimes more fun because you can kind of do it five different ways and try stuff out. Yeah, because you have that flexibility. <laughs> did you did you play sports as a child? Um, I, I did, yeah. I did play sports. Wait, where are you from? I'm from St. Louis, Missouri oh. originally, yeah. Sweet. And you have a new record called Sinner. Sinner. Coming to music listeners near you, August 23rd. Yes. And because it's called Sinner, and we'll get into that, we're going to start this podcast by taking this old book next to you. Okay. And we are going to open this podcast by reading the opening paragraph of The Scarlet Letter. And see if it rings any cobwebs loose from our brains. The Scarlet Letter. Okay, this is a romance yes. by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It is. And um, so the first paragraph of of this. Yeah, let's start it off. Right here. A throng of bearded men in sad colored garments and gray steeple crowned hats intermixed with women, some wearing hoods and others bareheaded, was assembled in front of a wooden edifice 
the door of which was heavily timbered with oak and studded with iron spikes. All right. Does that remind you of your album at all? (laughs) I mean, I could really stretch here (laughs) and say, uh, I could say yes to that, but I'm going to have to think of an answer to how. Um, Not right off the top of my head. I mean, I I read this book. Yeah, like in high school or something? Yeah, Yeah. in high school. And I I think I might kind of know where you're headed a little bit with this. Where am I headed? But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Just the idea of um, like sin and being marked and being considered mm. um, an outcast mm-hmm. in some respect, perhaps. I don't know. And maybe why maybe, the hell did you have me read this? But maybe now, <laughs> maybe now we can own our sins. Right. Like you chose to call this sinner. Exactly. Which I, I, um, it's definitely a tongue-in-cheek choice. Yeah. Because I really like the idea of. Um, you know, the, the calling someone a sinner is uh, something that is um, it's complicated. It's really complicated because it involves a lot of judgment. Yeah. And calling yourself a sinner involves a lot of judgment of yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, it usually has it has a lot of religious overtones, right. like the idea that you've done something wrong. Right. But at the same time, who hasn't done something wrong? None of us are perfect. So. Well, there's a line in, in that title track where you say there's you know there's bad in the best of us, which I love. Thank you. There's and a lot of a lot of people who I think pretend to be above the rest of us, right? Or say that their way of life is the way that we should all live, but you never know what's going on behind closed doors. You know, we're all human. Yeah. And yeah, that line is sort of kind of a twist of that joke too like saying there's bad in the best of us and there's good in the rest of us Mm -hmm. like there's there's um you know no nobody's perfect when you're saying i'm not the saint you've been hoping for right who's hoping for that well i was writing that song when i was writing i was kind of writing it to someone who idolized me a little bit Mm -hmm. And um, I was kind of trying to take them down a little and kind of say, like, um, I just did this really horrible thing, mm. and I can't believe I've done it, and I'm, I feel like a horrible person, and I have only all been there. Mm. And it was like really came from this really dark place mm. inside of me, and mm. um, I mean... I'm not afraid of the darkness, and I'm not afraid of the... I'm not afraid of the darkness, and I'm not afraid of the deepness. Mm. At least, I mean, I'm afraid of it, but I'm not afraid to write about it. That's what I should. That's really yeah. the truth. Well, that's maybe the only way I'm you can face it. it. Yeah, yeah, and and I found like through writing about things, like it really helps me cope. It helps me deal with them, and so that, it was like selfish in that respect because I wanted to deal with this like horrible thing mm. that I what, that was happening. Would you like to share what happened? I am not sure that I can do that yet. I I want to. I think in the future that I, I will. On the sequel? I, I don't know. I, I just like, I, I'm not totally sure that I want to out myself just yet. That's fine. With what I did. Because if I say that this yeah, song yeah, is yeah. about this, then other people will be yeah. like, oh, well, that song's not. Yeah. I don't know. But When did um, you move out? I actually moved out when I, uh, I came to college here. A lot of my friends um, went to New York. 
And I almost went to NYU. Mm. But I, instead, I, I went to um, a college here on the um, West Coast called Occidental College. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I, for the most part, stayed. I did move um, abroad for a little bit to Italy. Oh, but wow. then I came back. Where in Italy? Um, to Parma in the north of mm. Italy. I worked for um, one of the Pitzer colleges there for one of their study programs. And then um, and I speak Italian and and so um you know it was a, it was fun it was a lot of fun uh, but yeah. but I really missed pickup trucks and american flags <laughs> i was really tired of nuns on mopeds <laughs> yeah which is a lot of fun for a while but i was just ready to be where i was um i was ready to be back in my homeland yeah. and it does make you appreciate America when it, you're gone. It does. And it makes you realize that you are American. Yeah. Like whether you think you yeah. are or not. Yeah. Warts and all. That's what you, we are. Yeah. You, it can be easy for, to lose sight of that. And um, I definitely didn't have a f- grasp of that. But when I came back from Italy, I just felt like, I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. My, my country. Yeah. This is my homeland, my place. I mean, would you consider yourself a country singer? I do. I consider myself halfway country. I feel like I'm a little bit folk. I'm a little bit country. I'm a little yeah. bit Americana. A little bit rock and roll. And a little bit rock and roll. No. Um, only then that, like, rock and roll is also country. But I know that I'm different from a lot of country Do you know that artists. guy, uh, do you know the songwriter Robbie Folks? Yeah. I'm actually playing with him oh, yeah. in New York at the end of September. He was one of our first episodes on here. Oh wow! And uh, he's a pretty salty, like salty intellectually dog. pointed dude. Uh-huh. So if you ask him a question like that, because I think it was like, "Are you a country singer?" and he's like, "Well, I sing about the country I live in, so I guess I am." Yeah, <laughs> so then, you know, I li- I like that answer a lot. We're all writing about what's around us in this country and what's happening. Yeah, whether we think we are or not, you know. Yeah, well, I and that is that that would make all American songwriters country writers by his definition. So I can't quite go with that, but I because we'd all be you know writing in our country. But it's like it's there's a cultural aspect. I, what I love about country music is the storytelling aspect of it. Right. But I have been a little bit dismayed with country radio as as of recently, yeah. because it just seems like all the Songs are about pickup trucks and American lo- and, flags and lovely ladies. Yeah, I, I don't even hear very many women on the. I was just driving back from Yosemite mm-hmm. a couple days ago, and uh, my my phone charger broke, mm-hmm. so I had no phone. It was mm-hmm. dead, and I just had radio, and so I was spent like a lot of time mm-hmm. um, studying, navigating by the stars. Studying, yeah, navigating by country radio. So I really, I I kind of like. It was fun too because I love their their singing and I love a lot of what those country singers do. But I also yeah. was a little bit this. The themes are all like yeah, they're kind of all the same. So it's a little that disappoints me because. Mm-hmm. But L.A. is actually a, a very fertile sort of country folk mecca and it has been since it was founded. It's yes. like a frontier town. Yeah, in Bakersfield, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of California, a lot of California country. When I first People moved don't out think here, of it. If you say you're from yeah. LA and you write country, they're like, "What?" Anywhere yeah. uh, not anywhere outside of LA, everyone wants to know what the 
what the heck you're doing living in Los Angeles if you write country. When but, I first moved out here, 2007, yes, in there, like Leslie and the Badgers, you know, your old band. My old that was band. like one of yeah. the first things that I saw in MySpace that was like, oh, this is like some music I dig. That's California from country. like. Echo Park or something. We used you know? to call ourselves bourgeois country. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is like on my level somehow. Like I felt like I could, you know, and like you awesome. had shows that you, you know, with, uh, you know, there was like a people, crowd of people that people like, I felt there. like <laughs> I wanted to like be cool enough to like hang out with those people, even though Aww, like I wasn't. Me too. Yeah. You have a song falling off the new record. Yeah. You know, about, it's like falling into a deep, dark hole. Right. I will. Yeah. Now, my question to you is, what is the feeling that you get when you feel like you've fallen in love with someone? And is it equal parts terrifying? Because I think that over the cliff feeling is part of what it is to fall in love and that you're like, I'm no longer almost in control of my own right. feelings. Like, that powerlessness yeah. that surrounds into the depth of love. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about how we call it falling in love. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted... Why isn't it climbing? In right, love? climbing in love. Because I think there's this Rising feeling that you can't control it. It's yeah. you, you trip into love. You fall into love. You, yeah. you find yourself in love and you didn't expect it sometimes. And I really liked that idea but I also was thinking about love like a lot like love when you really are with someone for a while because in that song I'm kind of singing about like building a home together Mm -hmm. and um it falling together and apart and back together like even as you're falling and I um yeah there's a song uh storybook also that talks about uh has one of my favorite rhymes I've heard in a while I'm not your valedictorian Got no flux capacity, no DeLorean. It's like a hip-hop rhyme right there. It's good. If you could go in a DeLorean or any type of time machine vehicle, what part of history would you go to? That's such a great question that I think I might... I think I would go back and see some of my ancestors. Mm. Just because I relate to it most personally. Like about go back about 100 and some years and see my great grandma where was she because uh she had uh she she was traveling from arkansas to oklahoma in a um on a wagon train and mm. was she like I a feel pioneer like type lady yeah she she um she was uh five years old when she was on a covered wagon going mm. um on the wagon trail across um, the U.S. to Oklahoma and a really interesting detail. She lived to be 105, and so she told me herself that they used to sew the money into the hem of her petticoat because that's um, when they were raided Mm. by Native Americans. They would, or the tribes in that area Mm -hmm. um, would, not bother the children mm. and um and so they would keep the money on the children mm. all right so you take a delorean to hang out with your great grandma what was her name her name was carrie leslie mm. 
Is that what you're named after? Yes. Mm. So you, I mean, you've been making music for your whole life, more or less. I mean, has it been since you're a kid? When I was a kid, I had a radio station called WDUMB, and I used to make songs on a cassette player. Ooh. And I, and I used to write songs with my piano teacher. And I thought everyone that that was everyone's favorite part of their music lesson. Yeah. Like it didn't even occur to me that that was something that I I liked. I just thought everyone must like it. So your piano teacher encouraged you to write your own songs? Yeah, she she did. And um, But we moved around quite a bit, and so that kind of interrupted my study of music. And it took me, it took me um, a while to come back to it and start writing. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't... My family did not think it was a good idea for me to be a singer Why? and a songwriter. I think that they they just are really afraid of what art and being an artist can do mm-hmm. to Van Gogh uh-huh. and others, and they wanted something I more mean, sensible and yeah, something sustainable. That created more income. And what did your parents um, do? My um, mom was a teacher, and my dad was a business executive. Mm. In St. Louis, and um, yeah, and we we moved around a bit, but mostly in Missouri, Chicago, Baltimore. We lived different places. Anyway, you don't. Want to... I do want to know that. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know, I know. Um, but I uh, I did always really like writing songs, but it took me until I was somewhat into my adulthood to realize that I actually could do that, that no one could tell me not to do that. Mm. Because I spent quite a few years, it's my personality and it's the way I grew up, you know, Mm. really in a pretty strict household. Mm. And I was always really rebellious Mm. and I always did my own thing. But when it came to being a real grown up, I didn't give myself that Choice. I didn't think I could just do whatever the well, you were associating heck it with I wanted, like a violation or something. Like you were pushing back. Yeah, just... and it just didn't seem like a. It just didn't seem viable. I didn't know anyone who did it mm. at that time, and I just were you in bands in high school at all? Or no, I was more in musicals, mm. and uh, and then um, came to writing later. I begged my parents for a guitar and. They said, you have one, because I had a guitar with no strings that was in my closet. It was my mom's when she wanted to, you know, I don't know. It just, anyway. Why didn't you put strings on it? Well, I, I tried, um, but, you know, I didn't know how to string a guitar, and I didn't know, I didn't have, a, I couldn't drive. I was yeah. too young to drive. And they weren't helping and you out they, with it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would say, They'll like, can we go to the music store and get strings and they would say like yeah yeah and then I would you know it's funny it's like they just wanted to discourage it I think they thought that if they didn't get me so and I got a guitar from my first boyfriend he gave me a guitar where is he now he uh is a guitar player in Tucson Arizona sticking with it yeah he's he's an incredible guitar player he has hundreds of guitars and the, the guitar he gave me is still my favorite of all my guitars. Oh, wow. What kind of guitar is it? It's a 1977 Alvarez nylon string classical, classical guitar. Hmm. 
Do you have relationships like that with instruments where you like have a favorite that really like speaks to you? So that's how I feel about that one. Like really talks to me. It tells me what to write. I like when I love, you know, a guitar, I just don't need any other guitars. Like I have two guitars basically. Yeah. I have my road weary machine, you know, Martin. It's like a cherry wood finish. It's got like a hole in it now. I mean it's like like Willie Nelson. Yeah, I mean it's guitar. awesome. Trigger. And then I have my 1950 Gibson Archtop here that I will play at home. It's almost like I write the songs on the Gibson and then I play the songs on the Martin or something. You know? I'm not sure why. Nice territory. Yeah, like one is the like house cat and one is the road dog. <laughs> you know? That's a great way to put it. I don't know. Yeah, I never play my writing guitar out. Yeah. It's like it's not. It doesn't go. It doesn't want to be on the road. Yeah, it wants to be at home. What do you play on the road? Where it's comfortable. Gibson, mm. blues king. Mm. So, do you have people that you consider your band now, or is it more as a you know freelance in and out crew that you have? It's more of a. It's different players at different times right now, and just depending on what the show is, I'll just right. have different. Musicians dreamy. There's a lot of people to choose from in LA. Which so is, yeah. many, so many great players. It's it's just riches. Yeah. And, and wealth you, of you riches. You work with Jonathan spoiled, Wilson on the record. Riches. Yes, that was a really amazing experience. I really, I'm such a fan of his production and and him as a person. What were yeah? What were some of the great records that he did recently? I was looking that up. Well, he's worked with Dawes, right. and he's worked with Father John Misty. Right. And uh, one of my favorite Father John Misty records he did called Fear Fun. Mm. And he, Jonathan brought me in to sing on that with Josh, and so that was, like, an honor mm-hmm. for me. And um, he's... Um, what else has he worked on that I really love? His own records mm-hmm. have a really great sonic quality that's just like he he casts such a mood mm-hmm. you know it's not yeah well you have definitely this <clears throat> cinematic country dripping you know on this record you're saying yeah thank uh, you there's this sort of uh like this faded tinsel like music coming from the back of an old music hall you know there's this echo to the pedal steel that feels very haunted. Thank you. And that is all Jonathan. Those choices were all his. And the band he brought in was just frightening for me. Where'd you record it? At at Connor Ober's studio, which was Jonathan's studio. Connor's house, Jonathan's studio called Five Star Studios in Echo Park, mm. which is since um, they, they've they moved it, um, since we recorded it. Mm. But um, Jonathan brought this drummer named James Gadsen mm. in to play on it, and he's played on over, I think, 500 mm-hmm. records. Many of them are gold records. Yeah. Um, he's played with Paul McCartney and... Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the drummer on Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone. Oh, man. And I mean, that to me, he's this 
older man. Mm-hmm. He has a toupee, and he's such a character. Yeah. And he just comes in, and I just, like, you know, just... It took a lot of courage to be like, I am worthy. Yeah. I am worthy of this. I know that it's no accident that I'm working with these people, but it definitely was scary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're trying to kind of catch lightning in a bottle and all you can do is surrender and -hmm. like just be in complete acceptance. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if you, you know, tighten up, you're going to it's not going to be mm-hmm. fun, yeah. first of all, and it's not going to be open, and you're not going to be like v- able to be vulnerable and honest and all those things. So, yeah, and look, you, you're not. I to do some self talk. You're not like a young artist, right? You've right. seen some things. Yeah. You know, you have a kid. Yeah. You know, there's, I'm an there's, old lady. There's, but there's like many lifetimes that have gone through your lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That you have something to say. Thank you. And you have a lot of stuff to process. Yeah. You know? I've definitely seen the darkness. You know, I really have had a lot of experiences that have been, you know, and just had some really tough times. And it was nice to be able to put some of that into this recording and to, like, use some of it. You know what I mean? Because it makes it useful if you can take the the thorns that are on the roses. Because the roses have thorns, but the thorns have roses, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a rose that came from some thorns. You know, some stuff happened, and it was like this beautiful these beautiful roses came out of that mm-hmm. awfulness. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter now? She's in kindergarten. She's, she's pretty damn cute. Thank you so much. Yeah, she's, you know. I think the last I saw her, it was at like a house party on the east side, and she was running full speed through the party with a tutu on. At Wild Wild Race? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That was so funny. Kids are so great because they, um, you know, make you, they call you crazy names, and they really, they're just so in the present. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're just so, they're so alive. They have so much energy. I'm really glad that I made the decision to have a kid, but you best believe that I, I often feel like she's a, she can be a thorn mm-hmm. that has roses. <laughs> but it's really, you know, it's hard. It's hard to raise her. And yeah, we should, I mean, you're doing it on your own. Yeah. So that's no joke. And the, and the world is not kind to... Single mothers, I have found, mm-hmm. and that has that has been kind of a disappointment. Mm. You know, the COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, mm-hmm. she lost her husband a few years ago. And she wrote this amazing piece about how she had no idea how much the world sucked for single mothers until she became one. Mm. And she has has all these like all these great things to say about about that. What is a song? that you've written that you think exemplifies sort of that situation or that heartache and that struggle? Or maybe it hasn't been written yet. Um, I haven't written any, I haven't recorded any songs about that yet. Mm. But I've, I've written songs about like the unconditional love mm-hmm. that you feel for your kids. But, you know, if you don't have any kids, you definitely are not going to, have any idea 
Right. The thing about having kids is once you have kids, you see that all the horrible things you, you thought your parents did uh-huh. uh, to you are actually really understandable. You sympathize with your parents a lot. Yeah. You just like, th- you th- if you thought they did anything wrong, like once you're in their position, you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. And that is really a nice healing to feel with your own parents. But. Mm. Oh my God! Please, no, but don't I mean, get me started. I think it's important. It's too late to like. That's part of a growing up is like you. You realize that like you're now like your parents' age when they had you or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and like in your mind, your parents are always like so much older and different than you. And it's like no, they were like a twenty-nine-year-old right person trying to like do their thing, and then all yeah, of a sudden and you show still up, still growing and yeah. trying to learn, and then this Herculean task of raising. <laughs> Yeah. A kid comes along and... How do you think your relationship with your mom has changed as you've become a mom? Well, yeah, like I said, she's just... I just really understand how difficult it was. I mean, no one wants to hear that. Like, oh, when you have a kid, you're going to see that your mom was right. Like, who wants to hear that? No one. I definitely do not want to hear that. But sadly, that is what I found, you know? Did you have siblings? Yeah. And uh, and they don't have any kids, so I'm the only one. But um, all eyes on you. Yeah, but they, you know, it's it's just it's really it's great. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even really do it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you, you feel this like, mm-hmm. like Dolly Parton always says, like my songs are my children, and mm-hmm. I never have had any kids, so that all the kids in the world can be my kids, and that is so beautiful and so profound. I think the cool thing about Dolly Parton is that, like, you know, she is a ridiculous songwriter. There's that story of uh, what she wrote: "I'll always love you and Jolene on the same day." Oh, <laughs> and you know day. that Elvis Presley offered to sing I Will Always Love You, but he takes 50% of all the publishing of any song he sings. Mm. And so Dolly said, with a big smile on her face, so the story goes, I would love for you to sing it, but I just can't let you because I can't give away my publishing. And she held on to it and then kept it when Whitney Houston mm-hmm. Playing it in the 80s, which is such a great story. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't even know that Dolly wrote that song. That's interesting. Right. You know, I didn't until probably, you know, I started writing songs myself. I was like, oh, it was a song you have it on a cassette from the bodyguard. I you know. know, and it's such That's like it. a such a beautiful song. And she wrote that about Porter Wagner, I think. Mm. When she, because they used to do a show together, and she was like, I gotta go do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And we all know, like all the musicians, you know how hard it can be when you step away from your band or someone you're really close to musically and go off on your own, you know? How do you feel like you approach relationships now that you're a mom and that you're also a performer who's in and out of town sometimes? Just... Double whammy? Oh, gosh, like so much forgiveness and gentleness. (laughs) Um... I'm laughing at myself because it sounds so corny, but it's true. Yeah. Just so gentle and so forgiving, like, with myself and with other people. Or try to be, Mm -hmm. you know, but... How do you write songs down? In a notebook? 
I I do most. Prefer, I do. I actually just wrote something for Songwriting Magazine about my. It's called Songwriting Survival Kit, mm. Songwriter Survival Kit, and you write the four things that you need in order to write a song. Okay. And I do really like blank pages. Mm-hmm. Really like blank pages and a fast pen. What but, are the four things? Um, the marriage of a blank page and a fast pen. Okay. The nineteen seventy seven Alvarez guitar, mm-hmm. classical guitar. Third thing, truth. Fourth thing, Tr- truth in general. Yeah. But writing from a place of truth. Truth. Well, I I always tell my songwriting students that I ask them if it matters if a song is true. Mm. And I give them some like iconic album that the class really loved. And I mm-hmm. say, like, what if I told you that I knew mm-hmm. that this particular artist made all of this up mm. and none of these things happened to them? And, it, mm. and would it matter? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? And we talk about it for a while. And I tell them that, like, I come to the conclusion that, that no, it really doesn't matter if none of it happened. Like, it doesn't matter if it's true. It matters if there's truth mm-hmm. in it. So that's sort of where mm-hmm. I come from. If you were if you were to be stranded in a wilderness area for an indefinite amount of time, you could only bring two albums. That was going to be your soundtrack, soundtrack of your own truth. What would those two albums be? Well, first of all, I'd be really mad because I get sick of music, and I'm definitely going to be really mad at those two albums yeah. after some. After a while, but um, man, I would. Is there an album that you almost never get tired of? I do love. Uh, I love the Beatles' "Abbey Road." Okay, that's a big one for me, and I do love "In the Airplane Over the Sea," the Neutral Milk Hotel record. Mm. I think that that's such a beautiful record. But if I knew I could only listen to two records forever and ever, I don't know. I might take like some. Pray, some like Chopin preludes or something. Chopin is a good like peace bringing album, you know, choice. It's, I feel like I'm listening to way more Chopin recently than I ever thought I would be. So your album, Sinner, yeah. coming August 23rd. This is your third sort of full length record. And what is your hope with this record? What do you think should happen? In your heart of hearts. I mean... Shoot for the stars. Radio City Music Hall. (laughs) Hollywood Bowl. (laughs) I'm such a small artist. (laughs) Um, I just would be so grateful if people... Listened? I guess. And cared? I mean, I, I don't even know what to say to that question. I... I feel like it takes a really open mind to to like that this record I made and I just would be super great. I would be grateful if people listened with an open mind. Um I mean it's not like you made a death metal like musical odyssey, you know? I mean, there's a lot to love on this record. You think so? I think people might be afraid about songs like Depression Descent. Right. But then when they listen to it, you're like, "Oh, I see what's going on. Here. Well, and you know that song really is about seeing that love is a light. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that even that bad things can happen and you can still love. Because that song is about a friend of mine's suicide. Mm. And, um, and that, you know, beauty and love still exist in the world, even after someone does that horrible thing, which is making a decision to kill themselves, off themselves, slit their wrists. Um, mm. I have this one friend who lives in Highland Park and so, oh God, she went through this period time period where a lot of people around, ugh, I don't even want to get into it. It's, it's so dark. Um, and, um, and just, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's really, it's really sad when you lose someone to that sort of depression and that beast that is like wanting to, mm-hmm. to, to kill yourself. And I think so many people have been there in that place where they want to kill themselves, but if they can hang on and mm-hmm. move through it and mm-hmm. like understand that they're, that they're feeling, that they're like in, that they're feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, it has no logic to it, right? I mean, it's like you have the smartest people in the world who have everything going for them, you know? Robin Williams. Right. Anthony Bourdain. It's like, this guy is at the top of his game. Everybody loves this guy. Everybody's listening to what he has to Mm -hmm. say. And it doesn't matter. And he's somewhere in some hotel room, Mm -hmm. beating himself up, Mm -hmm. and so unable to stand himself that he kills himself. And that's why it's so cruel, because it can happen to anyone and you're like if it happened to him I mean it's like people are given permission that's the frightening thing it's the same thing with these mass shootings for me you know people are given permission to expel their demons in public and somehow that's accepted because all these other people did it you know and who do you think is giving them permission I don't know like the the, law the dark the sort of voice in their head that says, like, well, these people did it and they went out in a blaze of glory and people are talking about them and caring about them in some way, even though it's the wrong way, you know? And that's why when people mock you for, like, having, you know, any sort of thing to say about gun control or whatever it's like it's gonna happen to you and me eventually it's like this stuff is happening every week and then are we gonna ha- think the same thing we always think it's so removed you know well i mean i i just i can't see the need for automatic weapons no in our culture that to me i am absolutely not Afraid to say that we need to get rid of all the automatic weapons. There's absolutely no need need for that. Was there were there guns around when you were a kid? Not too much, but um, I do know many people that care about their guns. Yeah. How do you have a conversation right now with someone you fundamentally disagree with and have it? be a, a civil discourse because I'm struggling yeah, with that you, I think you just have to see that if you were in their shoes you'd think the same way that they do you know mm-hmm. they, they've they come to this place and they and their opinion is is valid and 
I mean, if we can start at that with that common ground that like you think what you think and I think what I think and that's okay and we can disagree. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of a lot of um, upset about you know on the both sides of the party line. Nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to kind of cross over and. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that there's a lot of inability to yeah. see the other side? Well, there's the demonization and the uh, dehumanization of, of the, the other, other side. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how Facebook genesis, and- it, genocides happen. You know, it's like suddenly the Hutu right. think the Tutsi are not right. worth it's the other. their life. You know? It's the idea of the other. You know, and... That's something that I don't think we're there yet, obviously, but I feel like there's got to be a way where we can start talking to each other in a more open way, you know? And honestly, I think the name of your record, Sinner, is a very cool double-sided knife, right? Whereas, because it's self-deprecating in a way, where it's like, I've done some bad things or made mistakes and in a way by calling yourself that it's like you're you're like you know what like yeah I'm not the saint that you were hoping for but I'm me you know and the other side is it is that like if people are to judge you <laughs> so you, be you've it. already judged yourself yeah like I've, I've <laughs> already been my harshest critic you know Way ahead of you. Yeah. And like even the acceptance of of that, like it doesn't have to be a judgment. It can just be an acceptance that like we all make mistakes. We all. Right. Like we we all do bad things. We all make mistakes and we're all human and none of us are perfect. Right. Question. All right. We're going to go back to the Scarlet Letter in finale here. Right. I'm going to read a sentence at random, and you're going to say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. The soul beheld its features in the mirror of the passing moment. Wow, that's beautiful. I I like this sort of game where you, like, crack open a book like a fortune cookie and just read one sentence. What are you thinking right now? Well, I yeah, I think that it's really a nice, like, it, it says, like, it says that, you know, the present moment is the only moment that exists. And, um, you know, like, so there's self-awareness and that. Like, you see yourself in the mirror of the moment and you, like, recognize that now is the only time for your soul to find anything, happiness. Okay, ready? You're feeling. Okay, next. She saw that he stood on the verge of lunacy if he had not already stepped across it. Yeah, I guess she can see the lunacy in the other's judgment of her or something. Mm. Do you feel like when a song comes to you that it's a form of beautiful lunacy, almost like a hallucination? Yes. Do you? Like a dream that you snatched out of the clouds? I... Like, where do songs come from? Right, I think that they're on the ether and that we can do our best to connect to that and try to hear them. I really had an amazing experience recently. I'm going to sound like a lunatic now, if I haven't already, probably have. But um, I had this 
experience I was laying by this river in Zion. In and, Utah? Yeah. And uh, there were all these, there's this water going over these rocks, and any song that I would sing, if I listened, I could hear the river mm. sing it back. Mm. And I think it, I don't know why it was happening but it really seemed like it was really happening. I think maybe the the way that the the water was flowing over the rocks, it was mm. had like all the frequencies mm-hmm. that were in what I was singing. But it really seemed like it was like singing back to me. Mm. All right, strike that from the record. Absolutely not. <laughs> all right, last one. I don't know if I did a good job explaining what that was like in Zion, but it was like this magical, mystical, crazy, metaphysical thing where it was yeah. like. And I was with this um, little girl, and I asked her if she could try it too, and she did. And she said, I can hear it. Ooh. It's the river spirit. It was, it was wild. All right, last one. Okay. The unhappy culprit sustained herself as best a woman might under the heavy weight of a thousand unrelenting eyes. Mm. This book is all about judgment, the Scarlet Letter. Mm-hmm. And they make her wear a scarlet letter so that everyone knows who's committed adultery. Mm. Like the most boring sin that you can commit. You know, it's a sin that's like forgiven a million times over in so many relationships, in so many marriages. In retrospect, I'm embarrassed at how sort of hurt and outraged I was when I was like cheated on. I feel that way too. As an older sort of person. Yeah, when you can see what it really that's that's some wisdom that has come to me. You're like, with wow, age. you really thought your life had been ruined. Right. Like it's just someone else's decision that you're powerless over if you've ever been cheated on. Yeah. Or if you've ever cheated, in cheating you discover that like, eh, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's not that great. And it feels like such, I mean, it's absolutely a violation of trust and integrity and like hurts. It hurts your relationship so much. And I, I don't mean to suggest it as a course of action, but when it does happen, it's absolutely like, it's so forgivable. It's so yeah. forgivable. Well, it's like also you can just, still love someone through that. I think, I think there's the ownership thing, especially Owning from the guy, from the the guy perspective. No, it's like, like oh, like, the ownership. Like in your mind, mine. you're like, I owned her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's she was yours. mine. Because you now she's she not was, yours anymore. Because she said she was going out with you. Right. 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 It's like this agreement that was made just in the air. Like there's no like you know it's one thing if you're yeah. married, but it was it's it's something that somehow in your brain, like your whole identity came crumbling down yes and i think you probably needed to experience that like collapse of the complete integrity of yourself in order to like realize that it hadn't really collapsed it's like a broken bone getting a little stronger when it solders back together i think i think there's a lot of people who have not had their heart broken or not yeah sort of had a relationship that crumbles where you can see the bottom underneath the bottom underneath the bottom. Right, right. And it's tough because sometimes you have to have that bottom to know that you don't need to go there And And to know that you're still you in that. Yeah. And And that that you'll make it through, that you'll be all right. And that you can get through and that you still have self-worth 
and that you're you're still like the same person and you're the only you ever and you know your relationships they're um there's this book I really like in it in it it says that like all your relationships are eternal mm. and uh, relationships relationships are all eternal even when they break apart or fall apart and I think like when you can see with a like bigger perspective of things that you don't feel as attached to like what someone did seemingly to you mm -hmm. by kissing someone else mm -hmm. or sleeping with someone else or this is precisely the reason in my mind why like guns should not be a thing that everyone has we're such fragile little right. flowers right right even though like manly dude it's like yeah. you find out that your wife is sleeping with someone else you want you will be to get so broken in right. that moment it's like this lightning in this machine you don't need that opportunity is, should not for be your lightning there. machine right to be an option at that point because you can get through it right because you can like right you can like those feelings go away just like those suicidal feelings like right. if you stick around they right. will pass right if you if you stay the course, also, I mean, think of so like there. Okay, we were talking earlier about how like being an artist, like it, it you you feel really sensitive, and how often like um, someone who does a horrible thing does it because they don't feel important. Mm. You know, like the Gilroy killer. Yeah. Or they they want some recognition. They want some. Right. Look um, at me. I was just thinking um, the other day about like Charles Manson. Yeah. You know the Sharon Tate, the killings and mm -hmm. the the Manson murders in the Hollywood Hills. Right. Um, that new Quentin Tarantino movie is mm -hmm. about them. And um, I was thinking about Charles Manson. Some people say that those murders happened because he wanted to make a record with Doris Day's son. I forget the guy's name, but it was Doris Day's son. He was a record producer, and he was living in that house with Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate. Whoa. And. And that record producer said no to Charles Manson. So Charles Manson made it like this, it's about like, it's a race war and we're going to kill everyone who's in that house. And this is like, you know, we're going to kill Hollywood. And, um, but it might've been that he was just scorned. His ego was bruised. Yeah. Just people not feeling important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say men not feeling important. But a lot of lunacy, a, a lot of lunacy is caused by let's count people the, not feeling important. Like a lot of crazy people go crazy. Let's count the public mass shootings that have been per perpetrated by women. Yeah, uh, zero, none. none. I you. know that. It's a very emasculated lashing out guy thing. There have like been female be. terrorists. Every but there now haven't, and again. And there have been you know female cult leaders, but there haven't been any. Yeah, there haven't been any. <laughs> Come on, dudes, get your stuff, get your shit together. Come on, ladies, let's get out there. <laughs> ladies, you can be represented. Yeah, you it doesn't have to just be men here. <laughs> Sorry. This podcast is taking a turn. Sorry, yeah. Wait, we have to write one thing together before you play a song. What do you mean we have to write? So you have a notebook right there. Okay, this is so fun. You're making this. Is there a pen? I thought there was a pen. Um, I have a pen over. Okay, so we're going to do a one-page Top One of the mind page? poem. We can do two pages. What, like stream of consciousness? Oh, you have a smaller page than I do. That, I can. We'll send a time. We'll do a timer. So we're gonna go five minutes. Okay. And our prompt will be from 
our scarlet letter inspiration I'm today. I'm in deja vu right now. <laughs> okay, we're going with this line to start. Okay. In her mood resembling nothing so much as the shimmer of a diamond. Okay. And we'll be right back. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? We're, we're reading these? Yeah. Oh, God. What do you think? It was going to take them home in I, silence? I don't know. I don't know. I thought maybe we would like do fortune cookie picking out one. You start. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's the I don't, best part about this show. I don't know if I'm okay with this. Great. What is a mood but a passing through consciousness? The diamond clear and... Handwriting? Unintelligible handwriting, illuminating all of it slivered into the colors of the spectrum, the sunlight, the love light spliced and brought to a reality anew, brought into the hands of the last one standing are well, all standing at the current wellspring, looking to see what lies here, looking forward and moving forward, but the past is blocked. How can I be more here? Why must I only move forward? To want so much to go into the past, heralded, garlanded the past, where I have knelt in calm and in peaceful self-acceptance. Here is where I will arrive again, greeted only by my own soul, divided within myself, then reunified. There's only the magic of the reuniting rainbow, colors collecting not into pools of black darkness and deepness and sin, but rather light when all colors join, becoming bright Sunshine. Pools of darkness. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> you feel cleansed? I feel freaky. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know where we're going to read those. She stood on the edge of her office window, the lake smiling back at her like a bejeweled cat from an ancient Egyptian tomb. Why have I never noticed this view, she thought to herself as the wind licked at her legs and flapped her skirt like a sail against the window. Oh my gosh, look, she said to no one, and there was a boat race happening, a hundred white triangles bobbing on the diamond-crusted waves, heading to Mackinac Island, perhaps, where you're not allowed to drive a car and things are slow and quiet like they used to be. Maybe she should, maybe she should just clock out, she thought, and, 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 and call in sick and, and take a long weekend on the island instead of jumping to this construction site with all of its dust. Maybe she could forget about the paperwork and her daughter's piano recital that she couldn't make and her dying mother's demands. It had all gotten so overwhelming, and as she stood on the edge of the world, her pumps squeaking in the wind, she thought about buying a boat with a white sail and taking it to the horizon no matter where it led. Way to wrap it up. Beginning, middle, end. I think it'd be nice to own a boat one day, you know? So nice. Would you like to sing a song? Sure. <laughs> Are you in the right frame of mind? You know, know it doesn't matter. We're Too always bad. in the right frame of mind. You're going to have to be in the song. frame of mind. Which song are you thinking? lights are on. Yeah, you're playing. This song's called Falling. It's about falling in love. And the way that falling in love is also a lot like falling through outer space into a hole. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs>
at first I caught myself on the door frame and hung on until I let go. I looked over and I saw you falling. I called out to you, hello. And you smiled and said it's a long way down. And we fell into that deep dark hole. stars and comets falling through the center of the dome and we gathered all we could around us and we built ourselves a home falling in that deep dark hole falling in a deep dark hole never knowing where we'll go Even as it sometimes falls apart Falling like the melody of a song Falling to the beating of our hearts Falling in a deep dark hole Falling in a deep dark hole Never knowing where we'll go Falling in a deep dark hole Falling in that deep dark hole Falling, falling There you have it, Miss Leslie Stevens. You can go to lesliestevensmusic.com for her music and her tour dates. As I mentioned, her newest record is called Sinner, produced by Jonathan Wilson on 30 Tigers. It is marvelous. Please buy it, listen to it, get it on vinyl, spin it at home. One must support your local cosmic country artist, or they will uh, fade into the ether, and that will be really sad. It looks like this Friday and Saturday, the 6th and 7th of September, Leslie will be over in England at the Long Road Festival in Lutterworth. Wow, it is a killer festival. Pretty jealous that I'm not there. And uh, you know who is there? The Bluegrass Situation folks. They wrote a wonderful preview on it. Check it out at bluegrasssituation.com. And then uh, September 14th, Leslie will come back to the States and play the Exit Inn in Nashville. The 15th, she'll be in her hometown of St. Louis, Missouri at Blueberry Hill, playing space in my hometown of Evanston, Illinois. The 17th, go see that mom and dad. And uh, the Ice House in Minneapolis, back room at Collectivo in Milwaukee on the 19th, and on and on. Go check her out on the road. It's one thing to listen to the record, but in person, she will transform you. Guaranteed. 
Thanks again for sticking with the show after we took a little summer vacation. Uh, I was over in Spain and then the Edinburgh Fringe Fest in Scotland did something I haven't done in about 12 years. I was in a theater show, not as the writer watching from the wings, but as the lawyer in the Jurassic Park musical. Don't ask, it was really weird. I did a couple performances. I was killed by a T-Rex. I had a lot of fun. My gang, Dust Bowl Revival, will be playing a couple weekend shows in September. We'll be up in Berkeley this Sunday, the 8th, at the Apples and Hops Fest at the UC Berkeley campus at the Botanical Garden. And the Redwood Grove, it is really magical. Go check that out. Uh, We'll be playing in Owensboro, Kentucky at their uh, Romp Fest air show after party that is on the 14th in Owensboro. And then uh, we'll be playing the Bristol Rhythm and Roots reunion on the 21st on the Virginia-Tennessee border. That is maybe my favorite festival in the country right now. And a brand new festival called Bourbon and Beyond on the 22nd, brought to you by the Bluegrass Situation, of course. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubitin. See you on the trail.